turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at just three verses this morning. Chapter 3, 15 through 17. I've entitled the sermon, The Apostles' Charge to the Church. The Apostles' Charge to the Church. The last time we were together, we saw, we have been convicted by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is God's new humanity, that in Jesus Christ we have died to the old man and now been raised to the new man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam, the the better Adam, and the church is God's new humanity, is the colony of heaven. And as the colony of heaven, we are to dress a certain way. We are to put off, as it were, that old man, that sinful nature that once characterized us, right? Those dirty clothes, we're to put them off and we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at some of the virtues, some of the fruits of the Spirit that the Lord Jesus calls us to put on. Right? We're to put off all kinds of sexual morality, things that characterize the culture at large, lying, malice, slander, and so forth, and put on loving kindness and compassion and mercy, forgiving one another even as Jesus Christ has forgiven us. You see, this is who we are to be. That's the point of sanctification, to be who you are, to grow into whom God declares you to be in our Lord Jesus Christ. And last time we saw that above all, the Christian must put on love. Now love is like that overcoat that you put on on that cold, wintry January morning. It wraps it all up. It keeps it together. It's what binds it in unity. All of these virtues, all of these things. We can only imagine as I'm sitting here even preaching even now, just extemporaneously, What would the world say if they saw the church dressed like this? In this beauty of holiness, as we would image the Father by our unity and by our one anotherists, right? The way we one another each other in our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the glory that it would bring to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, today we're going to look at three more exhortations. And again, these exhortations... This clothing, as you will, is to be understood not only individually, you know, that's the way we typically think, well, what is, how does it apply to me? Well, that's true, but I want us to think corporately as well. As the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to clothe ourselves with these virtues, these things that we are to pursue in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we must dress the part. Well, let's pick up reading now at chapter 3, verse 12, and we're going to read through verse 17 but we're going to look at 15 through 17, particularly as far as exposition this morning. This is God's holy and inerrant, infallible word. The grass withers, the flowers fade just like we do, but the word of the living God lives forever. Isn't it awesome that we have it? We have it, church. You hold it in your hand. All the cacophony, the white noise. You have God's word in your hand. Now listen as I read it to you, as the Spirit speaks through his apostle. Chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then, or therefore, as God's chosen or elect ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, 
And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And now comes to our text this morning. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Thus far, His word. May He add His eternal blessing to it. Let's pray and seek the Father's face. Oh, Father, we do. We seek Your face. Oh, you tell us in your word to seek your face and our hearts respond as those that have been circumcised by grace. Your face will we seek. Oh, our God, you are our glory. You are the lifter of our head. Come now in this hour and take my poor pitiful efforts, Lord, and bring forth glory to the name that is above every name, the only name under heaven whereby men might know you And once again walk with you and have eternal life in the sweetest name that's ever graced the lips of any son and daughter of Adam. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now beloved, we're just going to look very quickly this morning. I knew I had three baptisms. I'm grateful for that. Thank you Levi for your excellent exposition and exhortation to the Bechtons. Thank you Bechtons for being here. Welcome to the Bechton extended family. We're so grateful for your presence this morning. Well, this morning we're going to look at this text under three headings. Three headings going to follow the exhortation, the imperatives Paul lays out there by, under the authority of the Holy Spirit. First, let the peace of Christ rule you. Let the peace of Christ rule you. Let the word of Christ indwell you and let the name of Christ direct you. So it's all about Christ. Right? That's what we're about. It's all about Christ. You haven't said anything until you've spoken about Christ in the gospel. Let the peace of Christ rule you. Let the word of Christ indwell you. And let the name of Christ direct you. Let's look at these. First, let the peace of Christ rule you. Verse 15. Now Paul's having called the Colossians to put on love. He continues in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. You see, one of Paul's main concerns in Colossians is the unity of the church. In verses 12 to 14 that we read, he exhorted the Christians to to clothe themselves with the virtues of Christ, compassion, kindness, humility, forgiving one another, and so forth, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's by clothing ourselves with these garments by the Spirit that the unity within the church, within the body of Christ, is maintained in its integrity. You see, the unity of the church at Colossae was being threatened by these false teachers. They had slipped in. You see, they had slithered in, as Paul would say to the Galatians, right? Like serpents slithering into the church and they're calling into question the sufficiency of Christ's person and work. And as a result of their teaching... 
Their teaching was beginning to, to tear at the fabric of the unity of the body of Christ. It was fragmenting. It was balkanizing. It was tribalizing, if you will, to use modern metaphors. It was dividing the body. And here Paul calls the church to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The your there is in the plural. It's y'all's heart. You see, let the peace of Christ rule in y'all's heart. He's speaking to the entirety of the body. This Greek word rule carries with it the idea of govern. You see, saints, the the peace of Christ is to act as the, the referee, the umpire, the arbiter of our interpersonal relations. It's the peace of Christ that's to govern our conduct in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to have its sway with us. It's the peace of Christ that Paul speaks of here is objective. What do I mean? Conversely, it's not subjective, it's objective, meaning it's the peace that Christ secured How did he secure it? At what cost did Christ secure peace with God and man? With silver? With gold? No, with the precious blood of Christ, this peace, this objective peace that God has secured has been purchased by the Son of God. You see, prior to becoming Christians, we were at enmity with God. I know it's hard to believe, but we were hostile in our thinking We didn't subject ourselves to the law of God. We hated God. Yes, that's right. In Adam, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who seeks after God. We're alienated and futile in our thoughts. We're far off. We're without hope and we're without God. It's as bleak as it can get. It's utter despair. There is no greater darkness than being outside of Christ. But beloved, here's where the but God comes in, right? This is the the hinge, the beautiful word of the gospel. But God, who is rich and mercy, when he saw you in your sin, when he saw you loving sin and suppressing his truth and unrighteousness and shaking your fist at him, God called your name. Mercy called, and I heard mercy's voice. You see, that's what happened. It's like Lazarus. He heard, and he came out of the tomb. The grave clothes were still adorning. You put him away, Lazarus. You were dead, but now you live. Church, you are an object of wrath, but now you've been made a prince, seated in Christ in heavenly places, Secure in him with an inheritance that can neither spoil, fade, or perish. You see, this peace secured by Christ is to now characterize how we relate to one another. It must be the atmosphere in which we do life together. It's the pool in which we swim. It's the air in which we breathe. We're to be a people of peace. It's to reign in our hearts how we do life together. Well, how does this play out? Let's put some cement on this. When that brother or sister frustrates you and annoys you or worse sins against you, do you lash out at them? Do you sit there in self-righteousness and say, how could they? Do they know who I am? I'm the pastor of all saints, Reformed Presbyterian Church. 
I'm clergy. Or do you pray? Oh, Father, give me patience. Help me to overcome evil with good. As far as it depends on me, Lord, me, I seek the, the peace and the good of everyone. Are you ready to extend forgiveness, remembering that God in Christ has forgiven you? Why? Because the peace of Christ is ruling in your heart. It's holding sway. It's, it's calling the shots. Strike. Ball. Foul. That's good, right? It's calling the shots. It's calling all of our actions into question, right? It's, it's marinating in this peace. Also that the unity of the one body might be maintained. That together we might grow in grace and likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Ephesians 4.3 as Paul picks up on this reality that I'm exhorting you in the Holy Spirit this morning. Ephesians 4.3, spare no effort to preserve the peace and unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Spare no effort. Spare nothing. Pursue it. Reminds me of Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, pursue the peace of Christ in your midst. Let it rule over you. Let it characterize you. May it get in your pores, right? Like eating a nice Italian meal. It's heavy and garlic. You begin to smell like it. Oh, beloved, may the peace of Christ rule in our midst. What's at stake? The very credibility of the gospel itself to the unbelieving world. Do you remember the prayer of Jesus? That high intercessory prayer, high priestly prayer in John 17, 21? May they be one just as you are in me and I am in you. Why? So that the world may know and believe that you sent me. Do you see the apologetic? The defense of the gospel? When the church begins to marinate and letting the rule of Christ dictate and umpire the way that we get along with one another? Well, secondly, not only must we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, we're to let the word of Christ indwell you. Let the word of Christ indwell you. Let it become a part of you. Verse 16, look there in God's holy word. Let the word of Christ Indwell you or dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You see, beloved, if we're going to grow in holiness, and that's God's end game. His end game is likeness to Jesus Christ. That's where he's bringing all of us to image the very Son of God, right? If we're to grow in spiritual maturity individually and corporately, then the Word of God must be the foundation upon which everything is built. The whole edifice goes up with the foundation of the Word. You see, every thought must be taken captive to the Word of God. We must prize it. We must treasure it. We must love it above all. Psalm 119.9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living how? According to your Word. Right? We read it. We study it. We marinate in it. Right? We chew the cud of the word of God. We, we dwell in it. We don't walk in the way of the wicked. Right? We don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Right? 
We marinate, we walk in the word of God. Are you doing that? Are you more shaped by Prime and Netflix and Hulu or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Who's shaping you? Something's catechizing you. 24-7, you're being catechized. 365, seven days a week. It doesn't rest. The world does not stop trying to allure you away from your shepherd, your king, your savior. You see, the word of Christ must permeate all we do. Now, the context here, let me just say this, the context here that, that Paul is speaking of is corporate worship. Isn't that exciting? It's corporate worship. Corporate worship on the Lord's Day, the feast day of the soul, right? Not only are we to receive the word, we're also called to minister the word to each other. Now you think, well, I'm the talking head here. No, not according to Paul. I'm not the only talking head here, right? We're to teach each other, admonishing one another. How? Notice the means. Through singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Beloved, we gather first and foremost to glorify God in all we do. We worship him according to how he commands. We, we give praise and, and honor to the lamb who is worthy to open the scrolls, right? We imitate what we see in the book of Revelation. Right? There is first and foremost a Godwardness to our worship, a, a vertical dimension, right? We know this. We understand this. We've come to worship. That's the vertical dimension. But notice here, Paul says there's also a horizontal dimension to our worship. As we gather as the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit says we teach and admonish one another with singing. In worshiping God with song, we're not only glorifying Him, notice what we're doing, we're teaching and admonishing one another. You see that? See how that works? It's dialogical in that sense. We're, we're instructing one another in singing. Beloved, music is an integral part of our worship. It's one of the ways in which the word comes to indwell us. This is why the music of the church must be biblical and theologically sound. God-focused, Christ-centered, and executed with excellence. And nothing less. Because he's worthy of our very best. All to the glory of his name. You see, music is truly one of the greatest teaching tools the church has. And nowhere is that better seen. Now listen, nowhere is that better seen than in the singing of what? First and foremost, psalms. Did you see that? Psalms. God gave the psalms to his people to be sung. From the church fathers through the Reformation, the Psalter dominated church music scene until the middle of the 18th century for most of the church's history the psalter has been its hymnal did you know that luther called the psalter the little bible the whole body of christian doctrine is found where in the psalms right beloved in the psalter we find every human emotion Every life experience as a Christian who walks as a pilgrim in this barren land. 
on our way to that heavenly Jerusalem that Pastor Sloan mentioned in his prayer. That's where we're going. We're in exile in this present evil age, but we're making our way to Zion, and we're singing Zion songs as we march to heaven. Right? We find joy. We find pain. We find comfort. We find sorrow. We find hope. You know what else we find? We find perplexity. Yes, perplexity. Psalm 13, one of my favorites. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Will you abandon me? Will you forget your covenant? You see, we need to be singing the Psalms. Saints, if we're going to admonish and teach one another, we need to sing the Pilgrim's Hymn Book. Terry Johnson says this, and I think it's apropos. He says, a revival of psalm singing can only add depth to the shallow waters of contemporary Christianity. You know why? Because when you read the psalms, it took me the longest time, Mr. Hutton and I have talked about this, but there's a certain militancy to the Psalter. That the church is the church militant on its way in the battle on the way to Zion. And that's the atmosphere, the tincture, if you will, of the Psalter. Well, secondly, we must sing the hymns in spiritual songs. Now think now of some of the rich hymns we sing. Holy, 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 crown him with many crowns. I greet thee whom I sure redeemer art. You're going to sing that one in my funeral? That's what I'm asking, Catherine. He will hold me fast. I love that one. It might just be singing in my humor. In Christ alone, God moves in a mysterious way. I'm forever grateful to the Huttons in teaching my children that hymn early on. You see, all of these are biblically and theologically sound, all of them rich pedagogical tools in the hands of the Holy Spirit to mature us, to grow us up in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we're not stagnant, we're not a pond, it's a river. We're growing in Christ's likeness all the time. Let me say this, too. I have this in my notes here. The singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is not optional. You can't, you don't get a get out of singing free card. Do you get a get out of praying card? Do you get out of uh, reading the word card? It's commanded. It's the duty of every Christian to pray, to sing, to read the word. But you're saying, well, my voice is not very good. I put here in my notes. Let me encourage you. Jesus has a soundboard. His intercession will clean up your voice. He calls you to join all of creation. Psalm 150. Let everything that breathes praise the name of the Lord. Worthy Art thou, O God, to receive all honor, glory, and power. Right? Don't you want to be there and singing to his praise? You see, when we sing, we're encouraging each other. We have a responsibility to admonish and teach each other the word. You see, oh, what an encouragement, right? No matter what kind of week we've had, what joy, what fellowship, when we come to worship after the call, Levi tells us to stand up and we sing. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Beloved, I want you to be able to stand where I stand and hear the visible church sing to his glory. It's a grand thing, a glorious thing. 
We're teaching. We're admonishing one another that that word might dwell in us, that we might mature and maturate as the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, church, let the peace of Christ rule you, have its sway, let the word of Christ indwell you, and lastly, let the name of Christ direct you. Verse 17, look there in God's holy word. And whatever you do, in case we think we want to narrow that down, notice what Paul says, in word or deed... Do what? Everything. Brush your teeth? Everything. Drive your car? Everything. Preach? Everything. Teach Bible school? Everything. Elders meeting? Everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul now gives an absolute comprehensive exhortation for all of life. Whatever you do. As you sit there in that pew listening to the word of God, do it all. For the glory of Jesus, for the fame of his name, the greatness of his name, the glory and praise of his name. It's similar to 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or do whatever, do all for the glory of God. What does it mean to do all in everything in the name of Jesus? It means you do it for his sake. You do it for his glory. You seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, right, for his glory. It means to do everything with an eye toward honoring him and his name. You see, in this sense, all of life is worship. The Christian life is doxology, isn't it? It's just living out into the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He's put a new song in my mouth. I can't keep silent. I got to tell somebody. I got to image him. I got to adorn his name that the world might know. Because you see, the world is perishing. There's a place called hell, and it's real. And the church is called to be the embassy of the kingdom of God. And we're to call sinners to faith and repentance. Repent that your soul may live. Why do you spend your money, O world, on that which will not satisfy? Come by and eat that your soul may live. You see, that's what the word of God calls the church to be. But we're so caught up with, with what's going on in the world. We're so worldly church we're more concerned with what's going on in washington than we are in the kingdom of god let's put our eyes back on the prize right when you're running a marathon which one of the things you want to do i'm not done that but i have run a little bit you want to pick something out on the horizon and aim at it and you start to move toward it until you get there and then you pick something out further that's what we do christ is the objective he's the author and the finisher of my faith and your faith our eyes are on fixed on him I want to be like him. I want to sound like him. I want to act like him. I want to smell like him. I want to look like him. You see, that's what the Father desires. And my whole life would be a doxology to the triune God. I wouldn't be jaded and so cynical and sour that the world might see Christ in me, the hope of glory. And might ask, well, how do you do this? And I might be ready to give an answer with all gentleness and respect, having said, Jesus Christ, a part of my heart is Lord. Let me tell you how I have hope in this dark, bleak, dismal world. Let me tell you about Jesus. They might laugh at you. They might scorn you. They might hit you. They might spit in your face. Blessed are you, church. Blessed are you. 
the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection, being conformed to his image, that I might know him, Paul says. You see, oh, it doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't get any better than Jesus. It's living in view of his mercies and responding to it by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Everything, every square inch of your life, your deeds, your words is lived to the praise of the Lamb of God. The questions you want to ask is, will Jesus be honored if I do this? If I go here, if I marry him or her, if I work here, if I listen to this or watch that? Or will this bring dishonor to my Savior's name? I've made a covenant with my eyes to not look upon any unclean thing. You see, it's serious. Grace has appeared teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Is it teaching you today? Is the teacher in the classroom of your heart teaching you to say no to sin? A stronger love, a sweeter forgiveness, a greater mercy invaded your heart teaching you these things. Ralph Davis tells a story of a Polish prince Only Ralph Davis would tell the story of a Polish prince who used to carry a picture of his father wherever he went. The prince would often take the picture out of his pocket and he'd say to himself, let me do nothing unbecoming of so excellent a father. Let me do nothing unbecoming of so excellent a father. Beloved, how much more We who have so excellent a Savior need to purpose by grace to do nothing unbecoming of so excellent a Savior. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ indwell you. Let the name of Christ direct you. All for Christ. Christ is all conclude with this you're sitting there and you're thinking well pastor you're at that time you forgot something I know my elders are probably thinking that pastor you're sitting there and you you forgot a major theme that Paul brings to the attention of the church notice what it is and three times verses 15 16 and 17 what does he call the church to do in conclusion give what give thanks give thanks It's all about giving thanks. You see, that's the thing the world doesn't do is give thanks. As they exchange the truth of God for a lie, they fail to give thanks. But the Christian, this new community, this new colony, the kingdom of God, the city on the hill gives thanks. We're characterized as a people who give thanks. Be thankful, verse 15. Verse 16, with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Verse 17, give thanks to God the Father through him. You see, beloved, the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, the word of Christ indwelling us richly in the name of Christ directing us in everything we do must all be done with an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving. Gratitude is the fuel of Christian obedience. A grateful heart is a contented heart. And church, you know this, I'm coming to know this, that a grateful heart, the weeds of discontent and bitterness cannot grow there. They're choked out by grace. Paradoxically, right? We typically think the word is choked out by sin, and that's true. But, but grace can also choke out sin. 
It can mortify it. Begin to thank him. Begin to offer a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to his name. You see, we can never be thankful enough to God for all he's done through his beloved son. Church in Christ, we're part of God's humanity as God's chosen, beloved, and holy people. Let me conclude with this. Be who, what? You are. Dress the part. Christian, play the man. Play the woman. Right, Pastor Sloan alluded to it. Our culture's all about erasing definitions and boundaries. We're all about boundaries. We're all about definition. Because our God is the God who gives definition. He gives identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, church, are the colony of heaven. Now go get after it in the power of his Holy Spirit. Decreasing that he might increase. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell you richly. Let the name of Christ direct you. And may it be done with an attitude of gratitude, all with thanksgiving to the glory of the Lamb. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for this time in your word. We pray and we would ask that you would be glorified. There is no God like you. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you that you fill our hearts full of gratitude and wonder and awe at the glory that is our God, the treasure and portion and the very great reward of his people. Be with us now as we sing this final hymn and come to the table. We pray this in the name above every name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.